Hi, my name is Teresa Kajawa. I am a part of the worship team here. You're listening to the podcast from King's Cross Church in Charleston, South Carolina. We are working our way through the entire Bible during 2023 in a sermon series called The Story. For more information about our church or to find resources related to the story, visit kingscross.org. King's Cross. How are we? Glad that you are here. If you don't know me, uh, my name is Chip. I'm one of the pastors here. I very much appreciate. Um, I've been out for a couple weeks. Two weeks ago, Josh uh, preached. We were out of town um, getting away for a little bit. And then uh, last week, I was just a little bit under the weather. And so I appreciate uh, Dr. Dillon being here and stepping in. Um, more than that, even, I appreciate um, the way that you all received him. I don't uh, ever have to worry when I am out about uh, how things are going to go on Sunday morning, uh, and that's a real blessing uh, to me just personally and as your pastor, so uh, thank you for that. Uh, we're going to be in the book of Jeremiah, <clears throat> excuse me, book of Jeremiah if you want to be turning there. Uh, as I kind of stepped back in this week, I've got a uh, jump back into some research. I've got a Google Drive that I keep on my computer that's got um, the, all of my sermons and most of the devotionals and teachings that I've done, but also research that I've kind of picked up along the way on my computer. If you were to go to that Google Drive and open it up, <clears throat> you wouldn't be able to kind of start at the beginning of my ministry and work your way through chronologically uh, all of the sermons that I've preached, but it's all in there, the, at least the important stuff uh, is in there, and if you were to go and kind of read those, what you would find, <clears throat> golly, I'm sorry, I haven't cleared my throat all morning, um, <clears throat> what's going on, what you would find along the way in those sermons are some illustrations and stories about my life and my family's life and some, you know, you would get some clips of cultural moments along the way that would be able to pick out maybe some things that were going on um, in the country at the time. <clears throat> That's kind of what the Old Testament book of Jeremiah is. It's kind of like a, an anthology of sermons from the prophet Jeremiah. It, it, it's something like a divine Google Drive of God's words and God's work through Jeremiah. You get a few stories along the way that paint a little bit of a biographical picture of things that are going on in Jeremiah's life personally, but also in the broader cultural events of <clears throat> the day. And there are major events that happen in Jeremiah's lifetime. If you're brand new to King's Cross, we are working our way through a year-long study of the overarching story of the Bible. It's a great time to kind of step into that. We just started a new chapter last week that we're calling Chapter 7, Prophets. To this point in the Bible's <clears throat> narrative, the events of, of the Bible have more or less unfolded kind of chronologically. And what we said was when you get to the wisdom literature and the prophets, what they do is they kind of go back and fill in the color and the texture and the stories that were happening along the way of those chronological events that kind of begin at the beginning of the Bible and work their way through. In Jeremiah's case, those 
colors and events and texture and stories that they are dark. It is a heavy book, and his life and his ministry are heavy. He lived about 100 years after the prophet Isaiah, which Dr. Dillon was um, preaching from Isaiah last week. Jeremiah lives during the decline of the Assyrian Empire and the rise of the Babylonian Empire. It's a season of transition in which the southern kingdom of Judah experiences some reform and renewal under a king named Josiah that starts about 604 B.C. And Josiah is the last faithful king in Judah. Once Josiah dies in 609 B.C., Judah's time as a standalone political kingdom of its own is... It's just a matter of time now that the fuse is lit and Judah is about to be no more. As it would turn out, um, Babylon is going to be a greater threat to Judah than even what Assyria had been before. By 605 BC, Babylon is going to conquer Egypt and Judah and every small kingdom in between. They're going to destroy Jerusalem and send off many of its citizens, especially its leading ones, back to exile in Babylon. So there's this turbulent season, politically, socially, religiously, and it's in that season that God raises up a man named Jeremiah through whom he will speak. So when you get to the book of Jeremiah, what you're getting is this kind of anthology of speeches and sermons and visions, and they're more or less organized topically. So the first 45 chapters are directed at Judah, at the southern kingdom, at God's people. Chapters 46 through 51 concern Babylon and the other nations, and then chapter 52 is basically a retelling of the fall of Jerusalem. And along the way through that, what you're going to see is Jeremiah grieve and lament and weep over the state of his people and his country. He is going to be sent by God to deliver a message that he really does not want to deliver to a people, his own people, who are going to accuse him of treason, of aligning himself with Babylon. They're going to beat him and threaten him and ultimately threaten even to take his life. By the end, he is going to be openly calling for his king and his country to surrender to Babylon. The Babylonian king is going to give him kind of some uh, special treatment, special dispensation sort of that's going to make people think, aha, we knew you were a traitor. Only immediately, God's going to tell him, okay, now you need to prophesy uh, doom and judgment on Babylon too. And this theme of judgment that is going to ring throughout the book is what is going to make it particularly relevant still now, 2,600 years later, to me and to you. Does God judge? If so, who? And on what basis? And how does that come about? When will that come about? Or we could 
turn the coin over and make it a little more palatable. And instead of using the word judgment, we might use the word justice. Sometimes we wince and recoil a little bit at the idea of judgment. Judgment seems kind of harsh, but on the backside of it, we kind of lean into and, 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 and ennoble the idea of justice, right? It's right there in our Pledge of Allegiance, and justice for all. Now, we know, if you pay any attention at all, that ideas about what qualifies as justice, not always the same. Fair? People, if you say the word justice, people have different ideas about what that means, and it can vary between men and women, between conservatives and liberals, between young and old, between black and white. There is little agreement in our culture on what justice is, much less how to pursue it or how to actually ensure justice for all in reality. And that is the same now as it was 2,600 years ago in Jeremiah's day. But, despite all that disagreement, there is a timeless word, a divine word about justice that has been preserved by God that we might come to it and find both caution and comfort every bit as much today as Jeremiah's original audience did back then. And so what I want us to do is consider together, together the broad themes of the book of Jeremiah and ask God, if he would, by his grace, make those themes as much at home in our heart as they were at home in Jeremiah's heart so many years ago. The first theme that we see in this longest book in the Bible, and we're going to go over a lot of scripture, but I texted Jacob, I said, heads up, there's a lot of slides, but it's the longest book in the Bible, and so, you know, that's just, we got to get through it. We'll see whether or not it's the longest sermon in the series or not. But the first theme that we see in this longest book of the Bible is that justice is due to God's name. Justice is due to God's name. <coughs> Justice is simply the idea of receiving that which is rightly due to you. Fair? This is what justice is. If I get what's coming to me and you get what's coming to you, broadly speaking, that, that's the idea of justice. In Jeremiah, indeed I would argue throughout the entire story of the Bible, it is God and God alone to whom all things are rightly due. Glory and honor, repentance, obedience, faithfulness, worship, sacrifice, and praise. These things are due to God and God alone. God had created the world from nothing. We saw that the first week of the story. He created the nation of Israel from the descendants of one man's family, a man named Abraham. He had entered into a covenant with them after he brought them out of slavery in Egypt and established them in a land that he had promised to them. He has kept every one of his covenant promises to them. We read this in Jeremiah 2, 1 to 3. The word of the Lord came to me, this is the prophet speaking, saying, Go and proclaim in the hearing of Jerusalem, says the Lord. 
I remember the devotion of your youth, your love as a bride. This is God talking to his people. How you followed me in the wilderness, in a land not sown. Israel was holy to the Lord, the first fruits of his harvest. And all who ate of it incurred guilt, that is the enemies of God's people. And disaster came upon them, declares the Lord. God had loved Israel as a groom loves his bride. He had provided for her daily for 40 years in the wilderness. He had set her apart as holy, given her a land rich with milk and honey, with cities that his people didn't have to build and fields full of crops that they didn't have to plant. He had protected her against all the enemies who would come against her. It had been nearly 800 years since he brought them out of slavery. And yet, verses 4 to 13, hear the word of the Lord, O house of Jacob and all the clans of the house of Israel. Thus says the Lord, what wrong did your fathers find in me that they went far from me and went after worthlessness and became worthless? They did not say, where is the Lord who has brought us up from the land of Egypt, who led us in the wilderness, in a land of deserts and pits, in a land of drought and deep darkness, in a land that none passes through where no man dwells? And I brought you into a plentiful land to enjoy its fruits and its good things. But when you came in, you defiled my land, and you made my heritage an abomination. The priests did not say, where is the Lord? Those who handle the law did not know me. The shepherds transgressed against me. The prophets prophesied by Baal and went after things that do not profit. Therefore, I still contend with you, declares the Lord. And with your children's children I will contend. For cross to the coast of Cyprus and see, or send to Kadar and examine with care. See if there has been such a thing. Has a nation changed its gods even though they are no gods? But my people have changed their glory for that which does not profit. Be appalled, O heavens, at this. Be shocked and utterly desolate, declares the Lord. For my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and hewed out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that can hold no water. I've done all this for you says the Lord, and in return, you do not seek me, you defile my land, you sin against me, you don't know my law, you worship false gods, you treasure money, power, and sex, which is what Baal represented, he was the pagan god of fertility, more than me, you don't value my glory. In the end, he says, you have forsaken me, as the source of your life, and you have chosen to seek life in people, places, and things that can't provide it. Broken cisterns that give no water. Where is the justice for God's name in that? Where is the justice for God's character? For his person, his covenant faithfulness, his love in that. 
How many of us are offended, and rightly so, if someone slanders the good name of our company or our church or our small business? How many of us, and rightly so, would be quick to defend our family's name, our spouse's honor, our children's safety? How often do we get emotionally stirred up and, and, and riled up and moved into action by some politician or some ad campaign or some news item that we see where people are saying things or writing things or posting things that we know aren't true. And we say, I'm not going to stand for that. Not on my, I, I will not be silent. Should God Should the only, holy, good, righteous, just, all-knowing, ever-present, all-powerful, loving creator of everything that is have lower standards than you and I? Is not justice due God's name above all else? And if that were true in 605 BC, is it less true today because we have Wi-Fi and electric cars? We've matured past that. Justice is due God's name. Second theme that we see, and this is the one that dominates the bulk of Jeremiah's ministry and the bulk of the book, is that justice is coming to God's people. It's coming to God's people. Hundreds of years later, about 600 years later, after Jesus' death, resurrection, and ascension, the Apostle Peter would paraphrase Jeremiah 25, 29 to be specific in a letter that he's writing to the church, to Christians. He writes this in 1 Peter 4, 17. It is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. He's quoting Jeremiah. In our day, as in Peter's day, as in Jeremiah's day, the people of God often look at the world and wonder, when is God going to do something about all these wicked people? When, like, why doesn't God just do something about all of these sinners? If you're not a Christian yet, perhaps this attitude, which is sometimes expressed by people who call themselves followers of Jesus is maybe one of the things that keeps you from faith. Maybe it keeps you from the church. Because maybe you think, well, my question is, when is God going to do something about all these hypocritical Christians? And if you've ever wondered that, if you've ever struggled with that, then the book of Jeremiah should be a comfort for you. Because the primary 
ministry duty that God gives to the prophet Jeremiah. His primary job description was to say to everyone who would listen in Judah, and even to people who wouldn't listen in Judah, that justice was coming to God's people. I'll give you just a sampling. Because these types of God-given prophetic speeches go on for 45 chapters. So I won't read all 45 chapters to you, though it would do your soul good to read them uh, this week if you have time. I'll give you just a sampling. Jeremiah 3, 1 to 5. This is God talking to his people. If a man divorces his wife, and she goes from him and becomes another man's wife, so he's setting up this analogy. And the analogy is that God's people have gone off and become lovers with other false gods instead of their husband, Yahweh. So if she goes off and becomes another man's wife, will he return to her? Would not that land be greatly polluted? But you have played the whore with many lovers. And would you return to me, declares the Lord. Lift up your eyes to the bare heights and see. Where have you not been ravished? By the waysides you've set awaiting lovers like an Arab in the wilderness. You have polluted the land with your vile whoredom. Therefore the showers have been withheld and the spring rain has not come. Yet you have the forehead of a whore. You refuse to be ashamed. Have you not just now called to me? My father, you are the friend of my youth. Will he be angry forever? Will he be indignant to the end? Behold, you have spoken, but you have done all the evil that you could. Or consider Jeremiah 5, 20 to 31. God says to the prophet, declare this in the house of Judah. Proclaim it to the house of Jacob. Proclaim it in Judah. Hear this, O foolish and senseless people who have eyes but do not see, who have ears but do not hear. Do you not fear me, declares the Lord? Do you not tremble before me? I place the sand as a boundary for the sea, a perpetual barrier that it cannot pass. Though the waves toss, they cannot prevail. Though they roar, they cannot pass over it. But this people has a stubborn and rebellious heart. They have turned aside and gone away. They do not say in their hearts, let us fear the Lord our God who gives the rain in its season and the autumn rain and the spring rain and keeps for us the weeks appointed for the harvest. Your iniquities have turned these away and your sins have kept good from you. For wicked men are found among my people. They lurk like fowlers lying in wait. They set a trap, they catch men. Like a cage full of birds, their houses are full of deceit. Therefore, they have become great and rich. They have grown fat and sleek. They know no bounds in deeds of evil. They judge not with justice the cause of the fatherless to make it prosper, and they do not defend the rights of the needy. Shall I punish them for these? Shall I not punish them for these things, declares the Lord? Shall I not avenge myself on a nation such as this? An appalling and horrible thing has happened in the land. The prophets prophesy falsely and the priests rule at their direction and my people love to have it so. But what will you do when the end comes? This is not the pagans. This is the lifestyle 
and the culture and the behavior of the followers of God. This is the church fault. Jeremiah 7, 8 through 11. Behold, you trust in deceptive words to no avail. Will you steal, murder, commit adultery, swear falsely, make offerings to Baal, and go after other gods that you have not known, and then come and stand before me in this house, which is called by my name, and say, we are delivered, only to go on doing these abominations? Has this house, which is called by my name, become a den of robbers in your eyes? Behold, I myself have seen it, declares the Lord. If you are already a Christian, do not be deceived. What we do Monday through Saturday impacts how God hears, whether or not God even receives what we do in here on Sunday morning. God says to Jeremiah in 7.16, As for you, do not pray for this people. Don't lift up a cry or a prayer for them and do not intercede with me for I will not hear you. Justice is coming to God's people. The southern kingdom of Judah had watched in horror laced with self-righteousness as God had wielded Assyria like a weapon of judgment on the northern kingdom of Israel a hundred years before. But now, as we see in Jeremiah 19.11 and other places, now God's justice is coming to the southern kingdom too. He says there in 19.11, I will break this people in this city as one breaks a potter's vessel so that it can never be mended. And that breaking of the southern kingdom of Judah is going to come in the form of another invader from the north, only this time it won't be Assyria, it'll be Babylon. Jeremiah 25, 8-11. Therefore thus says the Lord of hosts, because you have not obeyed my words, behold, I will send for all the tribes of the north, declares the Lord, and for Nebuchadnezzar the king of Babylon, my servant, and I will bring them against this land and its inhabitants and against all these surrounding nations. I will devote them to destruction and make them a horror, a hissing, and an everlasting desolation. Moreover, I will banish from them the voice of mirth and the voice of gladness, the voice of the bridegroom and the voice of the bride, the grinding of the millstone and the light of the lamp. This whole land shall become a ruin and a waste, and these nations shall serve the king of Babylon 70 years." And as we've already seen in our study of the story earlier, that's exactly what happens. I think if you're like me, I often like to think of God's judgment as coming to bad people. God will judge bad people. And usually when we say that, what we mean by bad is people whose sin is particularly repugnant to us. Right? You know, those people? Those people that they do those things that we would never do. 
We would never do that. Because we're good people. And those are bad people. Friends, can I tell you that is not the gospel? That is not God's perspective on us. Romans 3.23 is clear. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. All. Everyone who has ever or will ever live has fallen short of giving to God that which is rightly due His name. Everyone who has ever or will ever lived has fallen short of loving their neighbor as themselves, giving to their neighbor that which is rightly due them. We have all failed to love God and our neighbors as we should. We have all acted unjustly. And therefore, as Christians and non-Christians alike, as those who have been and are unjust, God's justice is coming to his people. More than that, in fact, it must come. Because if it does not come, then God himself becomes unjust by tolerating injustice. And so it must come. Now, if that strikes you as harsh or wrong, if it kind of wells up in you, this internal compass that gets thrown off when you hear that, you're in good company because it did Jeremiah too. Jeremiah twice complains to God about these things that God has sent him to say. In Jeremiah 12, 1, he complains because God seems to be focused on his own people while the world around them appears to be much worse. He says in Jeremiah 12, 1, Righteous are you, O Lord, when I complain to you, yet I would plead my case before you. Why does the way of the wicked prosper? Why do all who are treacherous thrive? In chapter 15, he gets a little more personal. He goes from kind of, why is the world in this state, to why is my world in this state? He says, his life is hard, and he complains to God about that. Jeremiah 15.10, woe is me, my mother... <clears throat> Woe is me, my mother, that you bore me, a man of strife and contention to the whole land. And in verses 16 to 18 of that same chapter, he says to God, Your words were found, and I ate them. Your words became to me a joy and the delight of my heart. For I am called by your name, O Lord, God of hosts. I did not sit in the company of revelers, nor did I rejoice. I sat alone because your hand was upon me and you had filled me with indignation why is my pain unceasing and my wound incurable refusing to be healed it's all too human is it not just what about ism well what, what, what about the world hold on a minute what about me does God not see? Does he not see the sacrifices that I've made, the time I put in, the choices that I've agonized over? I mean, what, what's even the point? What's the point of all of this? If this is the way that life is going to be, that's real. 
Can I tell you, if you struggle with that, if you feel that, you look around the world or you look at your own world and you want to cry out to God, like, like I get that. I do. That is real. But there's this sobering third theme in Jeremiah. It should serve as both a comfort to God's people and a fuel for our mission. And it's that justice is coming to God's enemies. Justice is coming to God's enemies. In chapter 46 to 51, God's word comes through Jeremiah again, only this time he is speaking to Egypt and to Babylon and to the other nations who have risen up against the people of God. Jeremiah 46, 7 to 10, he begins with Egypt. Who is this rising like the Nile? Like rivers whose waters surge, Egypt rises like the Nile, like rivers whose waters surge. He said, I will rise, I will cover the earth, I will destroy cities and their inhabitants. Advance, O horses, and rage, O chariots. Let the warriors out, men of Cush and Put who handle the shield, men of Lud, skilled in handling the bow. That day is the day of the Lord God of hosts, a day of vengeance to avenge himself on his foes. The sword shall devour and be sated and drink its fill of their blood for the Lord God of hosts holds a sacrifice in the north country by the river Euphrates. The Philistines get hit. In chapter 47, Moab is addressed in 48. Six more nations, one after the other in chapter 49. And finally, in chapters 50 and 51, Babylon herself is promised the coming justice of the Lord our God. In Jeremiah 51, 24, I will repay Babylon and the inhabitants of Chaldea before your very eyes for all the evil that they have done in Zion, declares the Lord. Babylon had sacked and leveled Jerusalem, exiled her citizens. And then they heard about this guy, Jeremiah, who had been saying that's what was going to happen. And the king says, you know what? You're all right. We're going to take care of you. And God looks at Jeremiah and says, now go tell him he's next. Jeremiah turns and starts prophesying against Babylon. Because justice was coming to God's enemies too. If you're not yet a Christian, please understand that like Jeremiah, we take no pleasure in delivering a message of judgment. No delight in a message of coming justice and destruction on the enemies of God. No Christian should ever delight in judgment. No Christian should ever take joy in the thought of anyone being separated from God for all eternity because they've rejected Christ. Again, the Apostle Peter's words are helpful to us here. He reminds us in 2 Peter 3.9 that God is patient, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. And so at King's Cross, we take no delight in God's promise of judgment and justice towards his enemies. But neither are we ashamed of it. Like Jeremiah, we've simply been given a message. We desire to share it with all those who may be close to us but far from God, that they too might come 
to a place of repentance, as is God's heart, that they might come to a place where they know and believe and trust in the fourth theme that resounds through the book of Jeremiah, that justice is wedded to mercy. And you see it again and again and again throughout the book from beginning to end, that God's justice is wedded to mercy. Even as the prophet wept, even as these things are heavy for us, the union of God's justice and God's mercy shines through. Jeremiah 3.12, God says, Return, faithless Israel, declares the Lord. I will not look at you in anger, for I am merciful, declares the Lord. Jeremiah 31, 25, I will satisfy the weary soul and every languishing soul I will replenish. God's justice is wedded to his mercy. And so what we have seen again and again in the story and in this book are clear, unambiguous warnings for those who would take their stand against God and his Christ. But always, always, a plea for return, for repentance, to receive the mercy that God so freely offers to all who will come to him. Jeremiah 32, 37 to 42. Behold, I will gather them from all the countries to which I drove them in my anger and in my wrath and in great indignation, and I will bring them back to this place and I will make them dwell in safety. They shall be my people, and I will be their God. I will give them one heart and one way that they may fear me forever for their own good and for the good of their children after them. And I will make with them an everlasting covenant that I will not turn away from doing good to them. And I will put the fear of me in their hearts that they may not turn from me. And I will rejoice in doing them good. And I will plant them in this land in faithfulness with all my heart and all my soul. For thus says the Lord, just as I have brought all this great disaster upon this people, justice so i will bring upon them all the good that i promised them mercy how is that possible is god just capricious he can't be understood it was possible because these two concepts of justice and mercy are held in tension by the cross of jesus christ See, through the prophet, God had promised one who would come in Jeremiah 23, 5 and 6. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch. And he will reign as king and deal wisely. And he shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. In his days, Judah will be saved and Israel will dwell securely. And this is the name by which he will be called. The Lord is our righteousness. And at his coming, according to Jeremiah 31, he would usher in a new covenant written not in stones received on top of a mountain, but written in the very hearts of God's people. On the night before his death, Jesus told his disciples that he was the promised one. He was the righteous branch of David. And that in his blood, that new covenant promised so many years ago by the prophet Jeremiah was about to be sealed. And the next day on the cross, 2 Corinthians 5.21 says that for our sake, 
God made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And on the cross, Jesus steps into our place, takes the wrath of God into himself, not for his own sin, but for ours. And he receives that which is rightly due to you and to me. That is justice. So that now all who repent and place their faith in him are declared to be righteous. And they receive from God that which is rightly due to his son. That is mercy. That is the gospel. That is the hope that dried the tears of Jeremiah, that balances the scales of justice and mercy, and that glorifies the name of God every time one lost sinner crosses from death to life by God's grace through faith in Jesus Christ. That's the tension that the cross creates and allows us to step into. Let's pray. Father, these ancient truths are sobering. And yet they are glorious. It's hard for us to understand how justice and mercy might coexist in one place, in one person, in us. And yet that is your promise. You have not broken your covenant. You have not abandoned people. And yet you surely will not break your promise to bring justice on those who reject you. So I pray that if there are those here this morning, as we celebrated earlier, four who have done so recently, if there are those who have not yet turned from their sin and turned towards you, I pray that the Holy Spirit would open their eyes to do so now, even now. For those of us who have, would you sober us that we might live rightly before you, that our worship might be received by you, that our joy might be experienced, that your gospel might go forth. Would you help us in these things? In Christ's name, amen. My name's Chip. I'm the lead pastor here at King's Cross Church. Thank you so much for listening to our podcast. We hope that you're growing in the gospel as we work our way through the story. Take a moment to subscribe and you'll get each week's episode automatically. May the grace and peace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you all.